Well, it is so good uh, to be with you today. My name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor for Genesis. And I got to ask uh, right up front, just to bear with me, I'm a little emotional uh, this morning. You know, even as we were singing that first song, I made the mistake of turning around and taking a glance and uh, seeing a number of people. And certainly I've seen you, you know, as, as preaching over at the Carmel campus. But uh, man, we used to all pack together in this building every Sunday. And it got so busy around here that we were running three services on Sunday morning. But a little over four years ago, uh, there were 140 so of you that said, you know what, we don't want our ministry and what the Lord is doing through this place to be confined to one building, and so we'll go. And uh, there were something like 140 people, men, women, and children that all went to help start our Carmel campus. And August, July, August is that four-year anniversary. So will you join me? Let's just celebrate the Lord and what he's doing uh, through our church. You know, my eight years of serving here, you know, there are so many stories that kind of start with, hey, remember when? And uh, I think this will just be another one of remember when. Remember when the Lord decided that there would be no water at one location so that we could all be together uh, at one place today. And so thanks for coming to be a part of this with us, man. Thanks for your faithfulness. Man, who knows what the Lord wants to do through us as we keep trusting him, as we just put our faith in him and how he wants to continue to use Genesis Church in some amazing ways. So let's pray and we'll get rolling. Father in heaven, we thank you. You are a good God and a good father, and we thank you for how you've provided for Genesis, how you've uh, worked through this church over the years. We thank you for all of those lives that have been reached and won to Christ and transformed. And we thank you, and we're trusting you, Lord, for what's next and the next chapter and the next seasons ahead of us, God. And so we begin today by saying you get all of us. Uh, that's our hope. That's our prayer today uh, for everyone here, every man, every woman, Lord, is to be able to say I am fully surrendered to you. You get every part of me. Thanks for giving us this special time today, and uh, we pray you bless what we're about to do now as we look to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, if you've got a Bible with you today, go ahead and open to the uh, Old Testament book of Judges. It's in the uh, first third of your Old Testament or page 175 if you're going to use uh, the Bibles around the room. We're starting this brand new series today, looking at the life of Samson. I got to tell you, there are a lot of preaching on, people preaching on Samson these days, uh, a lot of different churches and, and guys that I've had the opportunity to listen to, Steve as well. And so uh, we've had this privilege of borrowing from some great teachers and, uh, and also just as we're studying together, man, it's been amazing how the Lord's been speaking into my life, and I know that Steve would say the same, uh, as we're going to spend four weeks, the next four weeks in Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16, if you want to do some studying on your own. So uh, as you're turning there, you know, there are lots of great commercials out there right now. We wanted to share one of those with you. Check this out. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Everybody knows that. Well, did you know Pinocchio was a bad motivational speaker? this room and I see nothing but untapped potential. You have potential. You have... Oh, boy. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. You got to love the uh, Geico commercials. And uh, as Pinocchio says, you know, it's one thing to, to look at someone and to say that someone has a potential, but do you know it's quite another for God to declare uh, that you have potential, that someone has potential. And I think what we're going to see over these next four weeks really uh, at its core in this story of Samson is really a story of what could have been. 
Uh, you could really say a story of wasted potential. I mean, here's an angel that announces his birth uh, to his mom and dad. We know, we can see in Scripture that the favor of God and God's strength uh, was on him. But what we're going to find as we study his life is that Samson was far more interested in personal gain rather than the purpose that God has for his life. You know, here's the thing. Historically, our world has suffered from the shortage of godly men. And we may think it's a now sort of thing, but, uh, uh, you know, some of you, maybe if you're a baby boomer, you know, maybe you'd say something like, you've heard somebody say something uh, about this generation that's growing up behind us, these millennials, and you think to yourself, you know what, these aren't real men at all. You know, all they want to do is their Twitter and their Pokemon stuff all the time. I mean, maybe you've heard some comments like that or made something. And for some of you millennials, maybe you don't have some great things to say about your dad's generation. It may sound something like, you know what, he was too involved in work or too involved in so many other things, never around. You know, you might say, you know what, I'm not a real man because I've never seen a real man or I've never had one to look up to. But the truth is this shortage of godly men has been around uh, as long as mankind itself. In fact, you can go as far back, 2,600 years to the book of Ezekiel, uh, the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. God was speaking to and through Ezekiel. uh, And he said, the Lord said, "I, I search for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me in the land so that I, so I would not destroy it. But I found no one. I found no one to do that. See, the gap that Ezekiel, that God is referring to here is this uh, place of weakness. You could say it's a place of vulnerability or danger or real threats. If we were to interpret this uh, for today, we might say that God is looking for men right now to stand in the, the, uh, in the gap on behalf of, of their community, uh, to stand in the gap on behalf of their church or their faith. That uh, We might say that God is looking for men right now to, to lead their families humbly, to lead them well, to stand in the gap for their wives or on behalf of their sons and their daughters. Let me tell you uh, just one example of why this is a problem today. Here are a few statistics uh, provided by the uh, Indiana Youth Institute, and these are up to date from a 2016 study uh, that addressed the effects of fatherless homes, all right, that homes without fathers, according to this study, produce 70% of all jailed juveniles, 85% of all uh, children with behavior disorders, Uh, 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers right now. That uh, The study revealed that children without their fathers at home are five times more likely to commit suicide than those who live with their fathers, nine times more likely to drop out of school, 32 times more likely to run away, 164% more likely to have children before marriage, including 700% more likely to give birth as a teen and 92% more likely to eventually get divorced themselves. The world desperately needs godly men who will stand in the gap right now for their families, for their wives, and for their children and for others. And I earnestly hope and believe that if God were to look around Genesis Church right now, he wouldn't find one but many such men, all right? That we would say these are the kind of men that we want to be, that we're aspiring to be, but I also believe at the same time that there are many more of us that have the potential to be strong, to be godly men, but we're wasting away in our potential too as we give our lives to so many other things. And so anytime we read scripture, all right, and stories like this one of Samson's that we're going to look like, it's helpful to realize that there are two different kinds of stories in our Bible. That first of all, there are examples to follow all right, anytime you look at a story or a narrative in Scripture, you can say that this is either an example to follow or, secondly, a lesson 
to learn. And the story of Samson, for the most part, is a lesson to learn. And the great thing, the great thing about this story and about so many others is that many of these lessons, and including this lesson that we're going to look at today and over the next few weeks with Samson, are, uh, apply equally, all right, to men and women, all right? So let's just be fair in that. But we want you to know that for the next four weeks, we're going to make lots of references uh, to men in the room. But again, this certainly applies to any female, no matter your age or situation in life right now, too. And so uh, I'll just say this. This is a great series. Uh, here in Noblesville or in Carmel, to invite, you know, a man in your life uh, to come to, a young man in your life, anyone for that matter. But what we're going to ask you to do is just join us for these next four weeks. All right, let's get from beginning to end in this series and see what God wants to teach us. So as we dive into the story of Samson today, we're going to see one lesson emerge pretty quickly. Uh, one theme that really is recurring throughout Samson's life, and it's this, if you're taking notes, that Samson was a strong man, all right? He had great physical strength, but incredibly weak character. Uh, you know that he was physically strong. I mean, from the outside, he appeared to have everything going for him, but his strength was only skin deep. The truth was he was weak at the core. He had incredibly weak character. Now, Samson is one of those stories that if you're new to church with us today, if you don't spend a lot of time around church, uh, maybe you've heard some references to this story before, even in uh, the culture that we live in today. And uh, again, if you're not real familiar with the Bible, maybe you know a little bit about him. I mean, as I mentioned a moment ago, we know that his birth was pronounced by an angel uh, to his parents. We know that Samson came as a judge or a deliverer. We'll talk a little bit more about what that means in the coming weeks. Uh, you probably have heard some reference to his physical strength and how his hair, uh, his flowing hair had something to do with that physical strength. We know from the story that he killed a lion with his bare hands. He killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. He had a bit of a short fuse, all right? And at the same time, this insatiable weakness for women. Samson was a strong man with weak character. And maybe some of you can relate. Uh, maybe some of you know an example of that or live with an example of that. I mean, we all know men who are committed to their jobs, way committed to their jobs or to the gym, but they won't commit to a woman. Or we know men that are, that are motivated and ambitious and go after these great goals when it comes to things like work, but they refuse to be the spiritual leader in their home. Uh, some guys will spend hours playing video games. They'll spend hours, you know, uh, researching what car to buy or what boat to buy or what vacation to take, but can't manage 15 minutes a day with their kids or a, a 15 minutes a day alone with God and in prayer. And some of you, I know, would say, if you're honest, that you would, you, you would love to say that you love God and you love wife with, your wife with all your heart, but right now the truth is that you're trapped. You're trapped in things like sexual sin. You're trapped in things like pornography. Or maybe, maybe even for some of you, you're, you're involved with someone who's not your wife right now or not your girlfriend. And, and maybe, maybe you don't see the harm, but maybe for some of you, you'd say, you know what, I'm trapped. And I, I don't even know how to begin to find a way out of this mess that I've made. We need to acknowledge this, men. We have a real enemy. All right, there's a real enemy in this story and in my story and your story, and he wants to destroy the intimacy that you have with your wife right now. He wants to destroy the future intimacy that you hope to have with your future spouse one day. He wants to convince you that it's impossible to live a life of integrity in this world right now. He sure wants you to see that your opportunity for influence uh, you know, is decreasing or that you don't have that ability, and he wants, he wants to take you out of the game. He wants to take every single one of us out of the game and drive a wedge between the God who created you and the one who loves you and loves you deeply. Your enemy and my enemy, he loves to lie. 
He loves to shout things that you're not, and sometimes we're lured into believing this lie that a man means you you got to be strong, right? That you got to be physically strong, you know, that, that being a man means you got to be all outdoorsy and stuff, and that you got to ride motorcycles and love to shoot things. And man, there's nothing wrong with any of these things if this is what you like to do, but that's all stuff on the outside, and the Bible says that we get way too focused on the outside stuff when really what the Lord is after is he wants to see what's on the inside. And so what I hope that you'll discover with me today is this, again, this is in your notes, that the measure of a man, the true measure of a man is found in his character. It's found in his godly character. It's found in what we see, what really gets to the core of who he is and what he wants to be about. So let's dive into Samson's story for a few minutes and see how this plays out together today. Judges chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Notice that it says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is a recurring pattern uh, in the history of Israel to fall out of God's favor, to choose their own path, to choose these other gods. And so they were doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines, their enemies, for 40 years. Now, the Philistines conquered nations much differently than most nations did. They used a tactic uh, called assimilation. And so their goal was, in the attack, it was to gradually infiltrate a nation and over time just simply blend in. And so they do this by uh, influencing their enemy's culture. They do this through a process of intermarriage. And so what would happen is after a generation or two, you couldn't really tell who was who anymore. Their goal was to erase the distinctiveness of the people of Israel. And so that's what's happening here. But now God is ready to raise up a judge or a deliverer. So enter Samson. Verse 2, a certain man of Zorah uh, named Manoah, uh, from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now the word Nazarite just simply means set apart, all right? Don't confuse it with the Nazarenes, all right? That's something completely different. These are the Nazarites. It means to be set apart, and what the angel declared, was that Samson, this baby boy to be born, was to be set apart from birth as a Nazarite. And if you want to read a little bit more extensively what it means to enter into this Nazarite vow, you can do that in Numbers chapter 6. All right, but here's the short version. The Nazarite vow basically uh, involved three uh, basic requirements or commitments. The first one is no wine. All right, no grapes or any fruit from the vine, and so no drinking. The second one, he wasn't, he, he wasn't able to kill. No one was able to kill or to be near anything, in the proximity of anything that was dead. And the third thing was don't ever cut your hair, the Nazarite vow. And while most people took the Nazarite vow for a specific period of time, Samson's commitment was for a lifetime. And so three distinctive commitments, we'll refer to them each of these weeks, under the vow that Samson was supposed to live by. And so don't miss this. The idea is that God's people are integrating with the Philistines. They're losing their distinctiveness as the children of God. They're blending in. And now God wants to use Samson, who will be set apart from them, and he's going to use Samson to lead his people back into this distinctiveness as the children of God. Can I just stop there for a moment and say that as followers of Christ today, we are facing the very same challenges in this world to simply blend in 
to be like everyone else, that it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter what you believe, to say that something like Jesus is the only way to heaven is so narrow. How, how, how dare you be so judgmental in that? And so I know the pressure, you know the pressure of let's just blend in and not cause any harm or chaos whatsoever. But the scriptures say that we are called to be holy as God is holy. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Second Peter, he talked all about, you know, or first Peter, he, he, he talks about how to, to be holy means uh, to eliminate sin from your life. We want to be distinct in saying, I'm not going to tolerate sin in my life. I'm going to live for the Lord. But at the very same time, it has everything to do with what you pursue. And am I pursuing God with all of my heart and with all of my soul? We're called to a level of distinctiveness and love and grace in this world today. And by giving us this outline, again, of what it means to be a Nazarite, and then showing us Samson behavior, the author here really is helping us find the lesson that I think we need to learn uh, over these next weeks together. And that is that if the measure of a man can be found in his character, then what we're going to see in Samson is three attitudes, really, that make strong men weak, give strong men weak character. The first one is this, the first attitude I think that we so quickly fall into men that has the opportunity to bring us down, the first one is lust. Uh, and lust is just simply this attitude that I, I want it, all right? I, I want what I want. I, I want it. Judges 14, uh, verse 1, a little later on in the story, we'll look at this again next week. It says, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Now, where's Samson going? Well, he left Zora. He left his home, and he left behind his family and friends, and he walked the four miles to Timnah, to the home of the enemies, all right? And he's in Philistine territory now, and he gets there, and he finds this beautiful woman, and he comes back to his parents, and he's like, you know what? I want it. I want her. I want this woman. Go get this woman to be my wife. Now, remember, the Philistines wanted to assimilate the nation through intermarriage, and so Samson's ignoring God's commands here about intermarriage. He ignores his parents' warning, and he's going to do things his own way. See, lust is going to play a significant part and Samson's downfall. And it's something that he appears to have struggled with his entire life. Peter says it like this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14, again, the dangers of lust. He says, with eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. See, the idea is that there are men that never stop sinning because every time they see an attractive woman, they objectify her. Uh, what starts out as something uh, like a, an innocent look, if you would, if left unchecked, really has the potential to spiral into so many destructive choices. I was uh, talking with a friend of mine a little while back. He's a pastor and uh, uh, close to retirement. He's been doing it for a number of years and just so wise. I mean, one of those men that you just love to spend time around for me as a pastor. We were having a conversation about lust and purity and temptation and how devastating it is whenever someone falls into an affair. And this had happened recently for him at his church and with a staff member that was on his team. And I'll always remember this. He said this. He says, Paul, sexual sin makes you stupid. And uh, that it really is just like this slippery slope. And the more that you allow it to take hold in your life, the, the, the power that it has to come over you. And, and I'll just say this at the same time that I get it. I get the temptation. I mean, I, 
I, as much as anyone, need the Lord's help in overcoming things like lust in my life. And we live in a culture today where it's very difficult to keep a pure heart. And I think every single one of us know that. And that's why the Bible says that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And for Samson, he never learned to honor a woman. He, he, he saw what he wanted, and he wasn't afraid to take it. And this attitude is going to contribute to his demise. So uh, the, the second attitude we're, we're going to see in him is really just as harmful. The second one is just this attitude of entitlement, all right? Uh, this attitude that says, you know what, I deserve it. I deserve what I deserve. And the attitude goes something like this. You know what, I, I work hard, all right? I, I deserve it. I, I've been slaving away at a job that I don't even really like, and I, and I give, and I give, and so I deserve this car, or I deserve this house, or I deserve this moment. I, I deserve this respect. Judges 14, verse 5, look what, what transpires. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. All right, who won the battle? Who won the argument here? Evidently, Samson did. It says, as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Now, that's pretty cool, right? All right, when you think about it, that this guy tore a lion apart with his bare hands. I one time stood face to face with a goose. Yep, I was out for a run. And you know those, those geese, all right? They're just a nuisance. And there was one that right on our path. I, I, I didn't back down, you know? And I ran right towards him, and uh, he took off the other direction. So I, I stood my ground. That's my story. Verse 8 says, Sometime later, uh, when he went back to marry her, now notice this, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. Now, just a little bit of a side note here. I mean, how many times, men, do we get in trouble because we turn aside from where we ought to be going, from those places that we really should be. I mean, isn't it true that so often when we ought to just stick to the path and we get caught off or caught off guard or we find ourselves in places that we shouldn't be, that we get into even more trouble? Well, anyway, he looked at the lion's carcass and he saw in it a swarm of bees and some honey and he scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. And when he rejoined his parents, he gave them some and they ate it too, but he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now, first of all, that's just nasty, all right? When you think about it, we'll talk a little bit more about this next week. I mean, who's going to do anything like that? Remember the, remember the show Fear Factor? Remember when Fear Factor was on? Joe Rogan, NBC, and, and so it, there, there was these teams, and it always start off with like these death-defying stunts in round one, and then competition was eliminated, and then round two was always eating something nasty, right? And so they'd get a plate full of, you know, like sheep brains or fish guts or Brussels sprouts or something like that. And, you know, I, I've, ga I've gagged watching the show before, but uh, th this is just nasty. But I want you to notice, did you notice in verse 9 that he didn't tell his parents where the honey came from? And why? Was it just because they think it was nasty? No. It came from the carcass of a dead animal. He's compromising his commitment to the Nazarite vow that he had made that he and his parents had entered into, and he doesn't seem to care, or at least he doesn't want his parents to know. And so if you ask, you know, why did he break it? I think he saw something he felt like he deserved. He's entitled to it. And so he's willing to betray the God who gave him strength. And man, you look at it and you think, who, who would do that? Who, someone like Samson, with all that he had going for him, who would do something like that? And the answer is we would. We do. Men do, women do, all of us, every day, every day, we betray God with stupid, 
sinful things that amount to nothing more than a handful of honey. This attitude of lust, I want it, entitlement, I deserve it. And the third attitude that gives strong men weak character is pride, is pride. So often that's our downfall. It's just this attitude that I can handle it. I'm in control here. I can handle this. Look at verse 10. It says, now his father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast as was customary for young men. Now the Hebrew word here for feast is the word mishta, and it literally means party or celebration, uh, uh, an occasion for drinking. Basically, Samson threw himself a kager, all right, and invited all of his buddies to it. And in doing that, he's once again violating the vow that he had made with God. Remember, there was no alcohol that was supposed to touch his lips. And why did he do that? He did that out of pride. He thought he could handle it. And we do it all the time too, don't we? You know, again, this attitude of I want it, I deserve it, I can handle it. I don't know what it is for you today. I don't know what it is that has the ability to lure you in. I mean, maybe for some of you, maybe it is something like alcohol. And so after a few drinks here and a few drinks there, and maybe this attitude of I deserve these drinks and you think you can handle it. But the reality is, even if your friends were willing to be completely honest with you, they know, they know you're not in a position in your life right now to handle it. Maybe for some of you, it's a substance, a substance that has a hold of you and has you addicted, and it's, it's what you need to get by or to get through, and you think you can handle it, but the truth is that it has a powerful grip over you in your life right now. Maybe it's something uh, new, something that you feel like you need, a new car or a new boat or a new house. And sure, sure, it's going to put additional financial strain on your family, but you think you can handle it. You know, one day we'll finally catch up. Or maybe you would say, you know what, it's not going to hurt. I can flirt. I can look. I can peek. It's no big deal, right? Fast forward to the end of Samson's story. This man with the reputation uh, as one of the physically strongest men to ever live will find himself humiliated, his hair cut, his eyes gouged out. He's a prisoner of the Philistines. I mean, he, he's ruined, all right? You'll, you'll get it from the story. And now he's the entertainment, all right? He's the laughing stock before his enemies. And really, it's a sad story. Again, a man with so much potential. He's wasted so much on women and drinks and one poor choice after another. And you and I... You may not ever come to a place where you'll find yourself as a prisoner with your eyes gouged out, but maybe it could be something worse for you because maybe you end up divorced. Maybe you end up addicted or without a job or without a relationship with your children or in a financial mess. And for what? A handful of honey? And if there are some of you here today and you just find yourself kind of reacting and saying, well, you know what? It's not me. I'm fine. I've got it all put together. Listen. Before we ever get to the end of Samson's story, do you know what's the one thing that he holds on to until the very end? His hair. Like, it's not till the end of the story that his hair is finally cut, and so he holds on to this long hair. Again, it wasn't until the end. And so what's interesting to me about this story is that for everyone else that sees Samson on the outside, they see him as a man that's still got it all put together. He's maintained his hair they must think that he's following God, but the reality is that while he looks good and he looks strong on the outside, on the inside, he's drifting and he's incredibly weak. And I'd say that for some of you here today, you know this to be true, that you've given the impression for a long time now you got it all together. And you know what? We do a great job of this in a place like Hamilton County right here in central Indiana. We do a great job of making it look like that we got it all put together. But the truth is that if you're honest with yourself and for some of you today on the inside, if you're honest, your heart is divided right now. 
and something has a hold of you and something's pulling you away from God, the God that gave you the strength and the gifts and the potential and the purposes that he has for you. He's the God that loves you, that created you. You were made in his image. And here's what I know. Here's what I know about myself and maybe many of you too, that even in our mistakes, look deep enough, and I bet that for most every man here today is a desire to be a strong man of character, to be a man of God, a strong man of God. And here's the good news. I've got good news for all of us today that no matter your story, no matter the situation that you find yourself in right now, no matter your past or your struggles with God, you can be strong. That no matter the mess you find yourself in today, you can be a man with godly character. We, we have an enemy who likes to make strong men weak, but we serve a mighty God who loves to forgive and specializes in making weak men strong and strong again. And with God's power at work in your life, you can be that man too. You can be a strong man in him. And how do you start? It starts by admitting that you're weak on your own. You can't fix what you won't admit is broken. And if you're going to become the man, if you're going to become the strong man that God desires for you and for me and to discover the potential that he has for every single one of us, you need to be honest about where you're weak in your life right now and then know that just like there are attitudes that make strong men weak, there are three attitudes for us this morning that make weak men strong. They look like this. Instead of an attitude that says, I want it, every day in your life, you start believing and acknowledging, it's in your notes, that I want God. All right, what's it mean for you in your life to proclaim today, to declare today that more than anything else, I want God in my life, that I need God? I mean, you have to be willing to say, I want Jesus and his strength for me, that I want his will above my will, that I want to pursue what he has for me. I want, to, I want his spirit guiding and directing me in my life. Look at what Jesus said about the living God and the living God for his life. In John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus said, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. We'll talk about this a little bit more next week, but God specializes in making weak men strong, but you've got to let him take control. And it begins by admitting that you need God, that you want God for your life. The second attitude is this, that instead of I deserve it, we realize and acknowledge that what we really deserve is death. The truth is, the fact is that we deserve death. When you say, or you live your life, you know, saying, you know what, I deserve it, what you're really saying is that God owes me this, that I'm entitled to this, that I deserve these things. But the truth is that for all of us, for men and women and students, that we all deserve death apart from Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul wrote it like this. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift. And a gift is not something we deserve, but it's freely given to be freely received. The gift is the gift of God and eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Be honest. Be honest with yourself right now and recognize today where you've rejected God and rejected his ways. Admit, you know what, I deserve death. But then realize and fully embrace the gift that we've been given in Jesus Christ, our Savior and friend and the forgiveness and the eternal life that he offers to every person here today. It's only when we submit our lives to him that we can start to become the man, to become the woman that God has created us and intended us to be. And so we say, I want God. We, we respond and say, you know what, I deserve death. And finally, instead of saying I can handle it, the last thing is that the truth is, the fact is that I can't handle anything without God. 
I, I am fully and absolutely and completely dependent on him for all things. This is about admitting that we are weak. We don't pretend like we've got it all together or that we don't have struggles. Jeremiah prayed it like this. He said it like this in uh, Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24, speaking on behalf of the Lord here. He says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight declares the Lord. Jeremiah says, you're going to boast in something, boast in the Lord. Not in what you accomplish. Not in what you can do for yourself or in what you think you can do for yourself. Not in what you can attain for yourself. But our strength comes when we boast in the Lord, when we acknowledge our need for him and our complete dependence on him. Remember at the beginning when I said that with every count in the Bible, you can ask yourself, is this a lesson to be learned or an example to be followed, the story of Samson is most definitely a lesson to be learned. Interestingly enough, look at the life of Jesus. And what do we find? An example, a perfect example to be followed. See, Jesus is the greatest man who ever lived, who ever walked this earth. And he's the example we can follow. He's the example we must follow. Samson was way too dependent on himself. But Jesus he was the most dependent person that ever lived, totally dependent on his father. And what he lived is what he says to you and me today, that we are nothing without God the Father, but in him we can be strong. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, uh, we just pray that you would open up our eyes and hearts and our ears today to hear what it is that you have for us, and to respond accordingly. And for every person here today, uh, every man and woman and student, Lord, I, I pray that our heart's desire today would be to say, I need God. I can do nothing without the Lord. And so, Father, as we enter into this time of this last song and response, uh, we invite you, we invite your presence now to come in through this place trusting that you're already at work in every person and every seat here today, every life represented here this morning. Father, we're ready to hear from you and to respond to you and to admit that we need you and that we want you and that we can do nothing without you, Lord. Have your way in us today. Have your way in this moment right now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.